Hello, welcome to another episode of Sweet Valley Online, where evil triplets come together to snark Sweet Valley twins and explore the darkness that lurks just beneath the surface of Sweet Valley. We recap three Sweet Valley Twins books each month. You can find all our recaps and previous podcast episodes at sweetvalley.online. We are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash sweetvalleyonline and on Tumblr at sweetvalleyonline.tumblr.com. Our music is provided by Stuart Taylor of Legacy Breakfast. You can contact him at taylorstuart602 at gmail.com if you want to commission your own music. All of this information will be in the show notes. Quick reminder that in 2018, we're launching Nostalgic Bookshelf, a hub for all sorts of nostalgic recap. From Sweet Valley to Stony Brook, point horror to horses, movies to games, and more. We'll release the details on the 1st of December, which, as we're recording, is this Friday. So keep an eye on our social media accounts and website for more details. I'm Wing, and despite this being a month of almost all Jessica all the time, I did not enjoy most of what we read. I'm here with my not-so-evil triplets. I'm Dove, and I'm going to stab Sandra Ferris in the eye. I'm Raven, and my book contained actual demons. This month we read number 31, Jessica's Bad Idea, number 32, Jessica on Stage, and number 33, Jessica's new, I mean, Elizabeth's new hero. Yeah, it was kind of Jessica heavy this month, wasn't it? It was, but I enjoy that, as does Stephen, as we know. Yes, yes. Jessica's Bad Idea is a tale of how charity is a really bad thing. The story starts with Kerry Glenn's birthday party. Everyone is very excited about this and Jessica has the great idea that everyone buy ballet-related gifts. Why are we suddenly excited about Kerry Glenn? Why is she suddenly popular? Why are the unicorns going, even though they don't do ballet? Shut up, stop asking questions. Jessica phones half the attendees, then gets bored and resolves to tell everyone else at school. Naturally, she forgets Sandra Ferris because Sandra Ferris is a tall, gangling ball of fug with no friends. At the party, Sandra is humiliated that she brought leather winter gloves for Southern California when everyone else bought leotards and music boxes and other girly shit. She runs to the bathroom for a quick cry and some self-hatred. If only she was beautiful, then she'd be popular. Ignoring the fact that even if she was hot, she'd have still thought that winter gloves in Southern California was a good idea. Enter St. Wakefield, Liz, who befriends the crying fug. They spend the next few days hanging out, much to Jessica's dismay. I don't know why she's surprised. Liz does this every fucking week. One afternoon, Sandra barrels straight into Jessica's room and asks if she wants to go to the mall with her and Liz. Then she gushes over Jessica's designs, for in this book, Jessica's true passion is fashion design. Bolstered by this blatant pandering, Jessica decides to give Sandra a makeover so that everyone will be amazed at how wonderful Jessica is for making a beautiful swan out of a fugly duckling. Jessica does her job all too well and Sandra is the centre of attention over the next few days. Everyone exclaims over how beautiful she is. Bruce Patman is flirting with her and Sandra's confidence blooms. While Jessica fumes about how everyone's giving Sandra attention when Jess made her that beautiful. Mrs Arnett announces there are two prestigious places to be won in the upcoming Sweet Valley Days, which celebrates the founding of this Aryan nation. Um, Sweet Valley. One of these places will introduce the mayor to talk to the school, and another boy will be Citizen of the Year, who gets to ride on a float. Yay! 
Jessica asks Liz to nominate her for both honours and Liz agrees. But later that day, Sandra asks to be nominated to introduce the mayor. When Liz initially says no, Sandra turns on the tears and Liz crumbles like a biscuit in a tsunami. Jessica is furious when she finds out, but Liz manages to convince her not to kill Sandra. She can still go after the Citizen of the Year position. Cue an intense rivalry between Sandra and Jessica as they fight for this honour. Jessica, with the help of Stephen in the silent watches of the night, comes up with a brilliant idea that will net her the coveted position. Unfortunately, Sandra overhears her talking about it and nets the idea for herself. So Jessica stabs her in the throat and Jessica and I live happily ever after. No. After much faffing around, during which Sandra staunchly believes that she didn't steal the idea, she finally realises that she did, and she gives up her place on the float to Jessica. I like my version better. Fantastic. Good recap. Thank you. Told you it was faffy. I'm sorry. That was incredibly long, but it was one of those... (laughs) If you miss out any of the little boring side quests, it doesn't make any sense at all. And yet, Dove asked to recap this book. She traded with me. She was excited about this recap. I I don't know why at this point. (laughs) It's because I have got a painful painful hatred of Sandra Ferris. I just want her to fucking die in a fire. And I think this comes from um, having been friends with a lot of Sandra Ferrises in my life. They're the girl that if you're on a night out, she will be in the loose crying because she saw the boy that she dated when she was, I don't know, 11 with his new girlfriend. And now she's suddenly crying that she's missed her chance at true happiness because he looks to be really enjoying the company of that redhead that he's talking to. And, oh my God, my life is over. Cry, cry, cry in the bathroom. And I just kind of hate this bullshit. And Sandra is clearly going to grow up to be that girl. And I can't stand it. I just want her dead. And that's why I wanted this book, because at least I feel passionately about it. Not in a good way. I suppose passion helps with the recapping, considering you recapped it in writing and then lengthily recapped it in your summary. So you clearly have feelings about this, which is pretty great. Yeah, she just annoys me because, and I know in the recap, you, Wing, were sort of of the impression, what's the difference between her and Jessica? Now, the difference between her and Jessica is Sandra will sit there crying prettily so that someone will notice how prettily she's crying and gently comfort her. Whereas Jessica will write, I heart Johnny Buck on her face and leap triumphantly into a room for attention. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's the difference that Jessica is aggressively demanding attention and proactively going about it. Whereas Sandra just sits there and makes people feel bad about themselves uh, for not making her the centre of their world. And at least... There's a good chance that Jessica will flip out and kill someone, whereas Sandra's just going to sit there and cry until people kill themselves, which I just think is a bit boring and passive. Yeah, I think one definite difference between the two of them is, if you imagine, if you think to where Sandra stole the idea from Jessica, who basically stole it from Stephen anyway, but it was given from Stephen, so that's fine. When she did that, she was like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't steal the idea. I just thought of it when I heard blah 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 oh hang on yes I did overhear that and then she's very penitent she's like oh no I'm, I'm really sorry I, I do realise now that I did steal the idea whereas Jessica if you put Jessica in the same situation she'd be like 
No, I didn't steal the idea. I just heard it. Oh, hang on. Yes, I did steal the idea. Well, I don't care. It's my idea now. Screw you. So that's the thing. That's why we like Jessica. And that's why, personally, Sandra can go fuck herself. Strongly do one. Strongly do one. Yeah, as the northern expression goes. What a weird expression. I get that. I just don't see any difference between how Jessica abuses people and Sandra abuses people. I mean, I can see technically there are different ways of going about it. But end of the day, they still abuse people to get attention, which is where I don't see a difference. Uh, I did find this book incredibly boring, though. So <laughs> I think another option is, like, if you meet Jessica, you know to cross the street next time you see her. You know that there's a selfish, destructive, evil streak running through that girl. Whereas with Sandra, she's she's a bit more insidious. Like, you might end up being friends with her and only realise the seventh time she phones you up crying needing to hear that you think she's beautiful. I reckon you could get stuck in a friendship with Sandra by mistake. Whereas with Jessica, you know to run away fast. Hmm. I guess... I mean, one good point for Sandra, I think, is she's got a better work ethic than Jessica. <laughs> That's true. She, she, when she decided that she wanted to be in these floats, which, which really came from all of, you know, that she had the big crying meltdown early on, and then Liz was there going, oh, back up, you're, you're awesome, it'll be fine. And then she went, yes, actually, I will be fine. And all of a sudden, she was one-upping Jessica on every single level, one step ahead of her. Whereas Jessica, as we know, would be like, oh, yes, this is great. Well, hang on, this is work. I have to do these things. Oh, balls to it that I can't be bothered. <laughs> so, she pretty much does that in this book when it comes to sewing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is true. And foreshadowing for further books that we're recapping as well. It, it happens more than once this month. Yeah, so, yeah. So a little bit of me is on Team Sandra. But... Not a single part of me is. I just <laughs> hate her. I know they're both emotionally manipulative. It's just, I think, the tears do it for me. The way she just, like, leans against the wall and hunches herself down and, like, someone any minute now will notice how sad I am and tell me that I'm beautiful. It's just, I think, I've known more of her than Jessica types because I've only met one Jessica type and I ran away from her really, really fast, so I don't have any funny stories. I do think, as always, we bring our histories to what we read. And I tend to not be in friendship with people like Sanders. It's not like I like her. I just don't see her as all that different from Jessica at the end of the day. But you're right. If you've had to deal with that in reality, in, in actual life, and the emotional manipulation weight that that brings with it, I can definitely see passionately hating her rather than just being bored with another makeover story in culture. But uh, I see your point on a lot of it. And she definitely is obnoxious in many, many ways. Oh, yeah. Well, with that particular girl, whenever she was crying in the loose, if you were like, oh, sod this, I'm getting a drink, you'd be like, how can you just walk away from Sandra when she clearly needs you? And then you would get guilt from all of Sandra's sycophants. And so you're not just committing to dealing with Sandra's whims. You're sort of like bullied by all of the people who are not noticing that she's being emotionally manipulative. And it's just, obviously, I have a lot of history. Um, I have a great sadness that you did not read these books when you were younger and take away the idea that you should become more like Jessica. 
I feel like that would have made a huge difference in a lot of your uh, teenage years if you had just tried to be more like Jessica in really, really terrifying, I mean, useful ways. I I did try and be sassy, but then I just... Sassiness was where I was going and not the murderous streak, for sure. Sassiness. I mean, you were a pretty blonde. You would have got away with everything. It would have been fine. That's true. Back then, white skin, blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah, it'd have been fine. Also, great step forward for disability. You know, girl with mobility impairment takes down pack of bitches. You would have truly been the poster child for disability awareness. (laughs) (laughs) oh dear in an alternate universe you know that's happened and i'm still in jail (laughs) well i for one i'm glad that you weren't as murderous as jessica because that would have left me under the patio at some stage (laughs) wait wait does that make us your bleak valley that's terrifying (laughs) wow wow yeah well i'm done yeah, Let's moving just, swiftly uh, wrap... on. Yeah. Okay. So was there nothing in this book that you liked? I mean, basically, so far you've recapped the book and for your discussion on this, you've went, I hate Sandra Ferris. And it's like, yeah, okay, but there was more to this than Sandra Ferris. I don't know that there was. There was just Jessica's side project of being into fashion and having read multiple books of these. I'm like, yeah, well, that's not going to last any more than 25,000 words, is it? So, of course. Well, you know, she had a passion for fashion and it didn't go anywhere. But she still, she was making, what was the dress that she was making? It was some sort of tartan pioneer dress. Pioneer dress. That's it. What's a pioneer (laughs) dress? And we now hand over to our US correspondent. Wing, what's a pioneer dress? So, I mean, yeah, I guess it doesn't actually matter cultural accuracy because Sweet Valley, so probably it's some sort of long cotton dress with long sleeves and ruffles around the bottom hem and little black buttons up the front, usually in some sort of faded calico, though I imagine it wouldn't be faded when it's a Wakefield. Just that sort of little house on the prairie style dress, if that's a reference that anyone outside of the U.S. gets. I was I was going to uh, the sister wives in Big Love. Oh yeah, I, fair. A much more recent yeah. reference too. I'm sure that. I mean, that's not, yeah. It's only ten years out of date. <laughs> um, that's still a more modern look, but that sort of idea, that very yeah. arms covered, neck covered, lower body covered to the ankles, that sort of prairie taking over the land, westward expansion, Oregon Trail sort of thing. Uh, which I guess they're you trying have died to tie of dysentery. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we need way more of that in Sweet Valley. I suppose they're <laughs> trying to tie that into this idea of the the anniversary of Sweet Valley's founding, but it's it's just very as usual in Sweet Valley. It just comes across as very rah rah USA in a really bland sort of way. Yeah, well. As we were saying before we started recording, it's really hard to remember what anything is called in Sweet Valley because it is just Sweet Valley thing. So this is called Sweet Valley Days, which this, this I don't know, float thing. You know, it's never even really discussed. It, it all happens off screen as well. So, um, you know, I'm just sort of assuming floats went down a very tiny street and yay. Was there more than one float in this little parade, or was there just this float? 
I literally don't know. It wasn't covered in the book. Literally nothing. Like, I don't know if there were stalls. I don't know whether food was being served. I literally only know that Jessica wore a hideous sounding tartan dress while riding on a float and waving. Well, the thing is, both me and Wing know that these things happen because they are in the book, but you were just blinded by rage for Sandra Ferris for the entire thing. You just saw her name and just went, the mist come down. I must destroy her. I'm I'm a lot calmer now. I've finished (laughs) Nano and I dealt with her. They were, I mean, you're not wrong. There were a ton of details about how all of this was going to work. Uh, Some of it is there. You just uh, ignored it in your rage. A lot of it, though, for me was just, I know how these things go in small towns in reality though again i never think of sweet valley as a small town so i can kind of add in what i expect to have happened but it doesn't go into a lot of detail because it really is the side plot just giving them reasons to be competing with each other and giving jessica a reason to make a hideous dress which i i found this all kind of weird because while she's been into fashion for book one She's never really cared about the making of it. She cares about finding the perfect purple item to wear. So having her suddenly want to make all her clothes was really weird to me. And unnecessary. Like, she didn't need this, you know, one true hobby of the book. It didn't really have much to do with anything. Had Sandra been one-upping her and making stuff for her, going through and fixing stuff rather than just offering suggestions that were readily ignored, maybe that would have appeared more as a competition between them it was just kind of gives something for jessica to do it felt like i think it was a big shock to jessica that designers had to uh have a fundamental knowledge of sewing i think in jessica world and to be fair you know there are a lot of people who are quite young and naive at that age so i think that she was just under the impression that she could draw a dress and then a team of wizards would just make make it happen because Alice, as you, you pointed out, was surprisingly sober and helpful and was like, nah, you got to learn to sew. That's true. And she was very like, let's start with the, you know, what, hymns and then an apron and work your way up. And just go, nah, fuck all that beginner shit. I'm making a dress. I mean, weirdly, I think, touching back on your point, Wing, I think it's, it is surprising that they sort of just tossed that bit off as a, a small B-plot because they, had, they have entire books on Ithig and Mathikim and, 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 and you're just like, the book could have been called Jessica the Designer or something like that and we could have had the entire thing because future books and books that were read have, have sort of led down Jessica's one whim and passion and that's been the plot. So it is odd that they sort of shoehorned it into this bigger story with Sandra yeah. Ferris being passive-aggressive and, do you love me? I have eyes, or whatever. That makes a good point, because they made Ithig the point of a whole book with no real subplot, where it would have worked much better as a subplot. But in this one, her whole, you know, one true passion is a subplot, when the literally the next book is all about her next one true passion. Yeah, it possibly would have done better if, if the plots had been reversed, if the main plot, like Raven said is, you know, the book's called Jessica the Designer and she sort of, like, leaps into this idea and she gets paired with nerdy Sandra Ferris and is like, well, I can't have a fug hanging out with me while I'm doing these classes, so I better make her look pretty. And then it's the rivalry between them over this. It probably would have worked better, but it just felt like 
so many details were off screen. I did quite enjoy the bit where Jessica went into the canteen and she was wearing those. She was wearing. She'd she'd hemmed a dress or added something to her. her no, clothes. she'd sewn lace cuffs. That to was it. Lace a sweatshirt. A sweatshirt, it. which just sounds hideous. Just ludicrous. And then they they just fell off into a dinner or something. <laughs> that was delightful. That's true. That was actually quite fun. Yeah. Her failure at sewing was probably my favorite part of this book because sewing's <laughs> fucking hard. So oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and she'd been super good at it. I would have probably thrown things. I do think that you're right. Uh, the whole switching the the a plot and B plot would have really fixed this. You wouldn't even have had to change the title. It's still, I mean, Jessica having an idea generally is a bad idea <laughs> in some way or another. But that would have addressed everything because then you don't get quite so much of Sander being passive aggressive throughout. And it gives him a real reason to have this, this conflict even after she gives her the makeover. Uh, because if that gives Sander more confidence or whatever, then she could start trying to make things happen the way Jessica does and I just think we get too much of Sandra's story in here so I think I can understand in that way why that you're so much more annoyed by her than uh than some readers will be I think are we sort of done on that book because you know I've I find with that book I have a a fierce burst of rage and then I'm just tired and want to talk about something else that's fine I'm done with it yeah yeah, it really didn't have much, did it? Well, the book's out there going, why don't you like me? I've got a pretty cover. Oh, please, please, please like me. Wait, before we go on, we do have to address the cover thing, because uh, in your little opening, Dove, you say, uh, where is it? If anyone can figure out why the cover hurts my soul, I will send them a free copy of Lila's music video. The book, if I had Lila's actual music video, etc., etc. Is it because... They use the single quotes on most popular girl? No. Okay. Is it because Jessica looks stoned? No. Then what is it? Someone actually got this right. Um, Yeah, and their comment disappeared. And I've been meaning to dig out their email because I got an email notification saying that they had commented. And then the comment wasn't there. So, but then nano happened. I think I know what the answer is. So, random person, if you're listening, please let us know that it was you and we'll figure out why comments are disappearing. But, Raven, what's your theory? Is it because the number 31 has got black line around it when the rest of them don't? Yes. Nice. Really bugs me. (laughs) It's been bugging me since, like, 1990. Really? Good Lord. Full disclosure, I think you did mention that to me at one stage. (laughs) Shall we move on to the next book? Yes. Yes. This month, I recapped Jessica on stage. As we've discussed, Jessica often gets a one true passion of the week, the way Elizabeth gets a BFF of the week, and this week, Jessica's true passion is acting. After an overly dramatic fender bender between Alice and brand new, longtime Sweet Valley resident Mrs. Harrington, Jessica soon learns that Mrs. Harrington grumpy old woman, is also Dolores Dufay, glamorous star of stage and screen. Since Mrs. Harrington has something Jessica wants, Jessica either manages to hide her sociopathic nature, or, as actors, they are similarly sociopathic, long enough to befriend grumpy old Mrs. Harrington, who turns out to be both grumpy and old, and glamorous also filled with useful acting tips for Jessica. 
She even convinces Jessica that acting is a lot of work, and yet Jessica still agrees to sign up for an acting class that meets early on Saturday morning. And she actually attends. Jessica Wakefield gets up early on the weekend to do something that's a lot of work. God damn it, Mrs. Harrington. You could conquer the world with those skills. To her surprise, Jessica really enjoys the actual work of acting, right up until she gets paired for scene work with a boy who has terrible stage fright. He fucks off out of the picture in fear, but thank God for, well, Mrs. Harrington, this book, not Elizabeth. Mrs. Harrington overcomes her fear of being outside in Sweet Valley at night, truly a hotbed of criminal activity, attends the show, and conveniently has experience with the very partner scene Jessica is doing, so she steps in to play the other role. Jessica is a hit! Mrs. Harrington is a hit! Mrs. Harrington realizes she still has life to live, though she's hidden herself away since her husband, who was also her acting partner, died. No more hiding! She contacts her agent, and Dolores Dufay has returned to the stage and the screen. There's also some crappy side plot about giving people surprise. There's also some crappy side plot about surprising people with pets as gifts, which is a terrible, terrible idea. Fantastic. So, thoughts on this one? I really enjoyed this one. I was actually super glad that Dove wanted to switch because. While I never know what is going to happen in the books that we read and recap each month, Dove often, of course, knows what's coming up and chooses the one that she's going to feel passionately about, good or bad. But I'm always going in with no idea. But I really, really enjoyed this book and Jessica in it. Uh, Elizabeth meddles just a little bit, but is mostly not involved with things. Jessica's friendship with Mrs. Harrington is fantastic, and I love Jessica the actress. I think this is a hobby that she should hang on to, and I hope we see it in the future, though with past experience, it will never turn up again. Spoilers. There are at least two more books that deal with the sixth grade putting on plays. One is called The Slime That Ate Sweet Valley. The other is called Romeo and Two Juliets. So... I wonder who the Juliets are going to (laughs) be. So the first one sounds like a Goosebumps book, and I'm excited. And the second one sounds like a threesome book, and I'm excited. So this is delightful. Acting will resurface at some point. Um, I kind of like this book, but I didn't feel passionately about it, if we're going to keep going back to that word. (laughs) Yeah, I I just thought it was your standard Jessica's going through a phase book. Um, But she was actually a lot less evil in this one, I guess. Um, She seems to actually have some sort of genuine warmth for Dolores Dufay. I agree. Like, I wasn't sure... I wasn't sure if she was less evil, necessarily. Because a lot of what happens turns on the fact that she wants this thing and is going to do whatever it takes to get it. But I liked how that interaction worked with uh, Mrs. Harrington. And I liked Jessica's enthusiasm over something and her surprise that even if it was a lot of work, it was still fun. I think one of the reasons that Jessica did get on so well with Dolores or Mrs. Harrington was that Mrs. Harrington at first was a massive diva. And the whole thing about crashing into a car and she came out and go, oh, my neck, I have whiplash, I'm going to die. Now take me to the hospital, you plebs. 
I could almost hear Jessica go, I like this woman. She's She's got character. She's got sass. So when she did have an actual, an actually quite genuine relationship with with Dolores and or Mrs. Harrington, yeah, that, that didn't come as a surprise to me. I agree. That's what I loved about it was that, she, that Mrs. Harrington is also in so many ways like Jessica. She's a storyteller and she's dramatic and she keeps secrets. And I think in a lot of ways she convinces herself things are true, even if they're not. See her fear of being out and driving after dark and just a variety of things that you could see Jessica becoming that in 30 or 40 or 50 years down the road because she already is a younger version of that. So I liked that between them, the way they are foils of each other in really interesting ways. That turns around acting, which I think is a believable background for that sort of character and type of person. One thing I would say, though, how about this? Going back to Sandra Ferris, is Mrs. Harrington an older version of Sandra Ferris? Mm. Well, I, I'm, I'm injured now. Please look after me. Oh, I'm old. Uh, did you not have white hot rage at that? Or do the aged get a pass? Speechless. I think given the issues that I had growing up with rather old adults emotionally abusing me, when I got to that scene, I just buried my head underneath and got through it as quick as I could. I think you're right. I think there there's definitely an air of Sandra Ferris about her, the way she was like, oh, I have to go to the hospital. And I noticed Wing raged repeatedly that she'd managed to convince, you know, someone to give her a neck brace, even though there was <laughs> nothing wrong with her. Yeah. I mean, I went through the whole complaint about the healthcare privacy stuff because the doctor flat out tells them nothing's wrong. And then she kept wearing a damn neck brace. If they had not gone to the, the trouble of writing out that the doctor says nothing is wrong, I wouldn't have cared. She was clearly still faking because she was moving around without worrying about the pain, even with the neck brace. Uh, some details. The other weird little nitpicky detail I have that I want to get out of the way before I forget it is that at the end of the previous book, they watch uh, Gone with the Wind, and that sparks Jessica's new interest in acting. And in this book, it's sparked because they would see some sort of play put on by a famous touring company at the Sweet Valley Community Theater, which makes no sense at all because community theater, famous touring company, whatever. But again, Sweet Valley. And then she reads a biography of a famous actress, and that's what makes her want to act. It's one book to the other. It's the end of one to the beginning of the other. Some sort of fucking continuity can happen there. Oh my god, J.B. Suzanne. Also, can I just point out, Sweet Valley Community Theatre. Not the Playhouse or anything like that. <laughs> just literally, Sweet Valley, thing that it is. I feel like we Sweet Valley to, Fashion. We need to call Sweet Valley day. Music Store. Sweet Valley Thing. Just be done with it. <laughs> yeah, because if we just called this Sweet Valley podcast, that would be, I mean, admittedly, we're barely a step away from that. Sweet Valley Online? That, that, yeah. That, that's I a yeah. I completely <laughs> fell into that. Yeah, I was just like, because initially I was thinking that uh, we were on Devil's Elbow where we actually gave it a sensible name, but no, no, we're not. We just went Sweet Valley dot online, and that became Sweet Valley Online. Which is exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> In that case, we're, we're making a very meta reference. We're, I'm not thick. We're very meta. Clearly, this was all intentional. 
clearly. Let's just go back for a second and let's let's not disappear down the uh, the meta rabbit hole. The thing with the neck brace later on in the book, Dolores when she's doing some acting lessons with Jessica, which we'll talk about in a minute, I'm sure. She pretends to be a chicken, and she does a chicken very very well. And I'm pretty sure that the the neck bob and the the head point, the head thing that chickens do, will have been part of that excellent, excellent mime that she's done. So, maybe the reason she's got a neck brace is she went, right, I want a fucking neck brace. I'm going to mime and become a wobbly-headed idiot. And the doctor will go, yeah, yeah, she needs a neck brace, even if they can't find anything physically wrong with her. So, that's, I reckon she just did that. Well, I've got another theory, and it's very simple. It comes from working in a law firm for God knows how many hundreds of years. PI claim, personal injury. Oh, my neck. I'll just call lawyers for you. Oh, I can get three and a half grand. Marvellous. That's my holiday sorted. I'm pretty sure that explains why she wanted a neck brace. It doesn't necessarily mean why she, how she got a neck brace. Oh, I could tell you how she got one. You could buy them in stores here. Remember, our healthcare is not subsidized. We should still spend money on it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And I don't necessarily think that she was doing it for the lawsuit either. I think she's doing it for the attention. Mm. But she doesn't seem to worry about money or any of that or want anything from the Wakefield. She just wants attention from the world. And when she gets it from the Wakefield girls, from Jessica and Elizabeth, she doesn't actually really want it then. She wants them to go away at first. She she's reaching out for this connection that she doesn't actually want to admit that she wants because it's too potentially painful or heartbreaking or she might care and then lose something again. Various ways that people deal with grief. Go back to the lawsuit though. I think it would have been quite funny if Ned just popped out of the mall outside where they crashed it with his little uh, his his business card like an ambulance chaser going yes yes. <laughs> This wasn't yes, your fault. If there's blame, there's a claim. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> for this book, I'm doing personal injury. Yes. That is one type of law we haven't seen him practice yet. So it was, you missed a chance there, Jamie, Suzanne. Yeah, he starts suing his wife. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So touching on the acting, the acting, the sessions that Dolores gave, I thought they were quite well done, to be fair. Good. We did want uh, your perspective because Raven is the only actually trained actor <laughs> in this group. Uh, I did notice... It's a real quick little detail that uh, you talked about the chicken part. She is not wearing the neck brace at that part, which I thought was a great little detail. Like at that point, she's given up on needing that for attention because she has this much better way to interact with someone. She and Jessica are so enthralled with these lessons, which I mean, the description of it was fantastic. I love that's why I uh, included so many quotes and such long quotes in the recaps. The scenes were a lot of fun. So I'm glad that the techniques work too. Yeah. I think with the chicken mime as well, it's probably, what, 20% wing, 70% neck, and then 10% beak. So the neck bob would have been very, 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 very difficult to do with a neck brace on. Now everyone's sat there bobbing and doing, doing the I'm neck not. brace. You're not, no. Look, I you said I was a huge portion <laughs> of this. I had to try to work it out. If I ever have to imitate a chicken, I'll just get Raven to uh, tell me what to do because I once had to voice a plasticine cow and I can't act. So I got Raven to feed me the lines and I just mimicked. And you were very good. That's probably sums up my life. I don't really know what to do. So I just get someone <laughs> to tell me and 
I mimic. So you kind of sound like a planet-destroying alien when you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I quite liked about this book was the, the sad story about her husband. I thought that was quite well done. And her sort of becoming some a, a shut-in almost, maybe almost quite reclusive because of, because of her past. And yeah, I thought that was well handled. I agree. And I really liked that she is so well known as this, or at least Dolores Dufay was so well known as this great actor on screen and stage. But that when she talks about it was that her husband was really the talent. And so she doesn't feel confident enough to go out and do it on her own. She's withdrawn from that life. She doesn't really feel confident about living without him, period. And it's it's really heartbreaking in how she's removed herself from the world and is now suffering because of it. But it's also a really interesting look at what happens when so much of your life is wrapped up around one person and what happens when you lose that person, whoever that person is, a partner, a parent, a friend, even a pet. When you wrap up with just one thing and you lose that thing, how do you move back into the world? And so it was really, really kind of a painful backstory for her. One thing I would say, though, with that, the timing of it seems a bit weird. Did, did we get any sort of timing information to when her husband died? Not that I remember. No, because wasn't she Alice's favourite actress back yeah. in the day? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm thinking that she wouldn't have been famous. She wouldn't have been acting for maybe 10 years. Yeah, that's kind of what I was picturing. I think that she's been out of it, disappeared maybe 10 years. Let me do a quick search and see if I can find any details. Because the one thing I'd say about that, if that's the case, how come all the people in Sweet Valley Middle School knew knew about her or knew who she was? This is that thing uh, Michael Grant was talking about where they were told that they're not allowed to reference anything contemporary. Therefore, the kids just have this knowledge of even in-universe old movies because yeah. they can't reference anything contemporary which is really weird because you've also got them obsessing over Kent Kellerman who's very contemporary you know he's famous now as the books happen yeah. kind of so what this book is in the late 80s right mm-hmm. so they were an amazing acting team in the 40s and 50s Jesus how old is Alice started on Broadway then moved to Hollywood movies which makes me think that, that would have been more 60 60s, 60s and yeah. 70s. So yeah, maybe by the late 70s. Yeah. Just a while back is all it kind of says. So yeah, I would say by late 70s they'd stopped acting. So that's... I can still see movies in the 70s being popular with pre-teens in the late 80s. But it's... It is kind of a reach back, I think. Yeah, I think as well as if, if she was as well known by the Lilas and the, you know, the Ellens and, and whoever else then it surprises me that no one knew that she lived in Sweet Valley. Yeah. Yeah. You can't have both of those things. You can have one or the other. Either she's famous enough for the kids to know who she is, or she's reclusive enough for the kids to go, who the hell's this? So I'm torn on that, because on the one hand, Sweet Valley is so close to Los Angeles, and therefore Hollywood. You think that they would be more savvy about, yes, there is this famous actress in our mix. But on the other hand, this is before the paparazzi were quite so prevalent or the information from them was quite so prevalent. I suppose, I mean, Jessica comments on how ordinary she looks and then she does, she does herself up for, for the actual play. And it's like the difference between Mrs. Harrington, the normal human being and Dolores Dufay, the glamorous actress. Yeah. She looks like a star. So she turns off. Yeah. 
Yeah. I take it that she doesn't appear in any future books. No. Because I, I would quite like to see a, a follow-up to her story where she's bitter and twisted because she's, I'm Dolores Tafay and I'm back, baby. Oh, Hollywood doesn't have any parts for older women. And then she yeah. comes out with some Weinstein-style revelations about what went on in the past. That would be quite fun. Oh my god, that would have been amazing. I guess I want her tell-all book. Holy shit. <laughs> I, I do think that this was the one time I would accept that she doesn't really turn up in person in the books anymore because she has apparently gone off to pursue acting again. Though I would expect Jessica to reference her once in a while, but I realize that in Sweet Valley, that's asking for a step too far. Actually, come to mention it, I've forgotten, of course, Breakfast of Champions and the twins hit Hollywood. Breakfast of Champions, the twins are in a Cheerios commercial or something unbranded and they want twins because it means that one kid can act twice as long and then they get a movie deal in the next book so it would have been a good time if any very sad but this is around the the same time that the dead come back to uh, pick up their kids from the dairy burger melissa mccormick's mother dies and 28 books later she picks her up from the dairy burger and waves to the unicorns which terrifying i regard (laughs) Yeah, I regard with horror, but the unicorns were just like, why is Melissa's mum waving at us? She's not cool enough to wave at us. Dead or alive. She's fucking dead, people. Wave back. But yeah, that would have been a good time to um, mention Dolores Dufay. But I mean, it's been a while since I read those particular books. But as far as I can remember, Jessica doesn't even think about it. She's all about her new favourite actress, Connie Boyer. So That's a shame. Which is also very Jessica, to be fair. I mean, you say that, you know, they say that, oh, Dolores has now gone off to Hollywood. Doesn't Ken Kellerman and Johnny Buck go off to Hollywood every five minutes and then they always seem to turn up like bad pennies? That's true. Ugh, I hate them all. <laughs> the one I like doesn't come back and the ones I hate do. That's such is, yeah. such is the way of Sweet Valley. I guess at least to briefly touch on the side plot, Elizabeth and Jessica try to surprise Mrs. Harrington with a dog, a puppy, which is a horrific idea and it fails spectacularly wasn't it a german shepherd as well so not just like like a yorkie or something but a big boisterous dog that's got a hell of a, a lot of strength to it or or will when it grows up she made that point too even as a puppy it was too rambunctious for her uh and as a fully grown dog it would have been a terror for her especially because they need some pretty good training growing up so they aren't terrors as dogs in general bigger dogs always do but then she ends up with this cat that Elizabeth rescues, and that's a perfect match, of course, because surprise pet gifts do work out. They do. They do. Was this mischief? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of hoping that she doesn't get a movie deal, because otherwise that cat's going to, you know, have to be looked after by the next door neighbor or go into cattery or that something. That could be a future book. Then again, I suppose... It's now been retconned that Sweet Valley is a suburb of LA. Before, so I was thinking she, she would have commute. the money to pay someone to very carefully take care of her pet. It's fine. <laughs> yes, I'm pretty sure she'd just ask Elizabeth or Jessica because they're the ones who sourced her with the cat in the first place. Um, we do know that Sweet Valley residents have an alarming um, character trait where they just dump their pets off on kids on the side of the street. Why? Why, Sweet Valley? Why must she be so horrible? Yeah, so I really enjoyed this book, but we've hit on all the reasons why. So uh, unless someone has any hate on it, let's uh, move on to the next one, I guess. Yeah, I'm happy to move on. Yeah, I'm happy to move on also. Okay, Elizabeth's new hero. This month, Sweet Valley Twins tackle the Cold War. 
Ronald Reagan, nuclear war, the Berlin Wall, defection and communist spies. Is it handled with wit, verve and elan? Is it bollocks? Some East German gymnasts, a.k.a. the Flippy Demons, visit Sweet Valley and stay with various Sweet Valley Middle School students. The star of the team, Christoph, stays with the stars of the town at the Wakefield compound. Stephen, at first full of fear at the threat of spies and evildoers, bonds quickly with the gymnast. Because if you can't fuck your sister, then you might as well fall in love with a demon, right? Christoph is head and shoulders above the rest of the team, but his rival, the scary Bruno, is determined to throw his Olympic preparation off kilter. It works, at first, but then it doesn't. Obv. Of course, the real story is Christoph's desire to leave his native land and defect to the US of frickin' A, because they have strange and exotic things like pizza, sports that involve a lot of points, and rectangles. However, the Wakefields get wind of his plan and solve it all with the most Jessica of machinations, a bloody party. They bake him a cake in the shape of Germany or something and he breaks down and weeps. Christoph decides to go home to East Germany to become a flippy demon stroke drumming rock legend. Bruno is thwarted and the Berlin Wall is weakened by the collective love in the room. Also, the East German coach has a moustache. <laughs> Don't they all have moustaches? <laughs> Yes, the, the cliched ones always do. Big, twirly, evil moustaches. This book. This book, yeah. <laughs> I hate this book. I don't even hate it for a good reason. Wings there, with all of her very valid reasons, I'm just like, it's shit. I'm sorry, I wish I could be a better person and, and hate it for all the right reasons, but I don't. It's just shit. To be fair, if it wasn't shit, it probably would have addressed all those reasons I hated. So the book being shit is the core of everything. <laughs> yeah, this book to me had the, the 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 perfect storm blend of being offensive, boring, and exactly like the other books. Those three things all yeah. put together just made one festering pile of meh. Yeah, I think I think you've kind of nailed exactly what is wrong with this book on a number of levels. First of all talk about the fact that it's like all the other books it, whenever somebody new and different arrives in sweet valley from somewhere that isn't sweet valley they are invariably blinded by colors shapes and sounds it's like oh look you have air conditioning oh we don't have air or conditioning in my home country yeah or even Ginny lou culpepper who's uh blown away because she's never seen as many mirrors as in the changing room of Valley yeah, Fashion. Yeah, well, I think in Ginny Lou Culpepper's town, they smash the mirrors because each one steals a little bit of your soul. <laughs> oh no, the dead live in the mirrors, and if you don't cover <laughs> them, they come out. Get your superstitions right. Maybe that's where that dead mother was waving from in that later book. Exactly. She's in the mirror. Ah. <laughs> the thing is, I actually would have believed some fish out of waterness from the East German gymnastics team, because... Kids who are gymnastic, especially in the the uh, Soviet bloc in the 80s, were so deeply buried in their training that they really didn't have a lot of cultural experiences outside of that. So I could have expected some of this, oh, this is weird and wild from them. And I might have even been okay with it had we not literally just had the same story with that Prince book so recently, especially when... He, as a member of a royal family, would have had more cultural awareness across countries, but still didn't understand things. So to then have it repeated here so soon after was obnoxious. The two things that got me about this this 
particular brand of nonsense in this book was the fact that they didn't know what pizza was, or Christoph wasn't sure what a pizza was. Yet he'd just been on a tour of of Britain and Italy and France, and it's like you didn't see a pizza in any of these places. And as I mentioned in my in my recap, I googled that, and pizza was very very popular in the from like the sixties in Germany. They they loved it. I mean that's in both sides. So that was just nonsense. But then there was the other one on the other on the flip side of that about the the horror films. When was Ellen Reitman going? Was it? It was, yeah, it was Janet. 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 Janet Howell. Oh, she was taken to a horror film. Uh, do they have horror films in East Germany? And I was like, oh fuck off, Janet. Turns out they didn't. <laughs> I googled that, and there was a massive dearth of horror films in East Germany at that time. I definitely went down a rabbit hole with that, with why they didn't have it, and which was a combination of how everything had to be approved by the state. And what they did and didn't fear into some real crime stuff. It was a really deep rabbit hole of East German film theory, which is great, actually. I loved it. But it was weird to have that one thing be so very correct in this book of other things being so terribly wrong. Yeah, but you know that that was like the scattergun approach. It was like, they literally have nothing in this country. Sooner or later, if I just keep saying they don't have pizza or glasses or walls or curtains or or ashtrays or, or, or films, sooner or later, one of those things will be true. Yeah, the stop clock is right twice a, twice a day. So They clearly have both a wall and an iron curtain. So uh, the one thing I would have given them with the pizza is that it's quite possible if they were used to Italian pizza, they would not have recognized American pizza as pizza. However, I imagine that uh, the German version of pizza is, is not the exact same as the Italy version of pizza either. Yeah, but isn't pizza just round cheese on toast? It's just posh bread with cheesy shit on it. That's what pizza is. All pizzas will have... Like, even if the pizza is different in the country, you can look at it and go, that's a pizza. You don't look at it going, what is this weird cheesy bread thing? Imagine how blown their minds would be if they met a calzone. Oh, it's wow. like a pizza it has been folded in half. We have pizza that's inside out too now. Though I don't know if that was a thing in the 80s. So yeah, there's some weird versions of pizza in the US. <laughs> pizza that's inside out? Yeah, the... Uh, like yeah, I'll take you guys sometime. It's this big thing in Chicago, basically. No, no, no. I'm sorry, you're not going to get away with this. I want a description of the pizza that's inside out. I can't even picture right, that. Right, so it comes in a bowl, but basically you've got this piece of breading that's kind of like a crust that's more in the center than all the toppings are around the outside. There's also a pizza that's uh, taken apart, so you get all the pizza toppings as a dip, and then the dough as I guess basically breadsticks. So is the thing in the middle of the inside out pizza like a ball of dough and then it's just, is it like satin? So you've got a ball of dough and then a ring of cheesy pepperoni around the outside. He meant the planet, not the not the uh, fabric. Not satin. satin. <laughs> it did take me a second to catch the pronunciation. <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's not literally a ball of dough, but yeah, it's, it's more... Yeah, it's just more like crust in the center and then whatever toppings, usually tomato sauce and lots of cheese and some meat and peppers and stuff like that. And is that on pizza bread itself or is that just no, it's in on a, the plate? No, that one is in a bowl, like you eat it out of a bowl. Okay. So it kind of takes the deliciousness of pizza and removes the convenience of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember seeing the Papa, was it Papa John's with the burgers in the crust? 
Yeah. The first time we went to Vegas, that advert seemed to be playing continuously. Like whenever we turned the TV on, it was, yeah, it was Papa it John's, was Papa wasn't John's, it? Because yeah, obviously you've got stuffed crust stuff, which has got like cheese or tomato sauce inside the crust. And then you have hot dogs. I've seen the hot dog ones, and that makes sense because it's like a, a sausage that goes all the way around. But then you have burgers one, so it looks like it's got petals coming out with burger, and it's just like you're taking that too far. Don't I'm be ridiculous. I think I know about that one. There's definitely ones where there's pull-apart pizza now, which may be what you're talking about, where, yeah, it's all like, it basically looks like little balls of dough that are all connected and you just pull a piece off. No, I've seen those. I've seen them on Twisted videos where they, you can make them, yeah, like pizza balls. We, we have done weird things with pizza, let's just put it that way. <laughs> Guess what? We're all going to order for dinner tonight. <laughs> oh, nice idea. No, no. I'm having uh, grilled cheese with turkey on it, remember? Very uh, nice. Oscar, ah, yes. Oscar just come up with some delicious dinner plans, apparently. Uh, yeah, because it was just uh, USA Thanksgiving, and we have a spritz full of leftovers. Nice. So, yeah, so we've talked more about pizzas than we have about the book. Yeah, okay. Well, you did go on and on about egg cartons versus egg box or whatever. So. <laughs> well, I was making jokes about boxes, and it didn't really work with the word carton in it. So I I, I am not. I, I, I don't apologize for anything. That was funny. That's fine. No, it was hilarious. I just, I feel like the re- recap itself got a little focused on side details. So it's not unsurprising that we did too yeah i think yeah yeah, yeah. i think it's fair to focus on the side details when the main details are so dull yeah uh, okay so yeah. we have so we've covered the the fact that it's like all the other books in that it's got this uh, fish out of water uh, foreigner in a strange land tale but the the fact that it's offensive that the whole cold war east german thing was just badly handled as well with Stephen like spying out of the window at the at the commies who were taking over Sweet Valley, but then obviously when he arrived he was great. Oh, and then Stephen loves him. Yes, they're good. They're they're, they're good friends. They're playing basketball all the time. I quite like the fact that Christoph on arrival didn't just go. Oh, I am staying with the Wakefield twins. I will walk around and hang around with the Wakefield girls. And the Jamie Suzanne had the presence of mind to go right. He's a year older than the twins he's basically the same age as Stephen so obviously he's going to bond with Stephen quickly so I did quite like that although I thought it was ham-fisted to do Stephen's face turn from the these commies are everywhere to oh let's knock down the wall yeah also I just want to know who on earth thought this this plot line was going to fly with like nine to 13 year old girls in in the 80s like like who at bantam went you know what girls like aside from ponies the cold war they are all over that shit no they like gymnastics it was a huge thing in the 80s especially the late 80s gymnastics was very popular here and uh while i wouldn't say popular the Cold War permeated a huge chunk of our media, uh, from kids' books to adult news. Like, it was such a big deal here. And even just a few years later, it was not. Like, uh, when I went to grad school, I had friends who were who were younger than I was, just not that far, but had never been taught about the Cold War as an active threat, but as more of a paranoid delusion uh, on the part of the USA in particular, Whereas a few years before that, when I was going through elementary school and middle school, it was 
very much an active presence with drills and talk of uh, potential bombings and just a variety. It was a real active fear. Yeah, the, the, yeah, this book, I think, is a product of its time because I, you know, obviously from the other side of the pond, um, but it was still a big thing. It was still something that was nightly news, much in the way that the Trump, the Trump thing is, is, is nightly news in Britain now, even Fair, though absolutely. on the face of it, it's not our politics, but mm-hmm. it's still important to discuss Kim Jong-il and, and, and that thing. Exactly. A parallel draw, if if there was like a book these days in a similar series with similar themes that was to talk about ISIS or something like that, mm-hmm. then that would be a very, very real thing now mm-hmm. that, that maybe, in, well, hopefully in, say, right. 20, 30 years would be seen as something that was out of place in the series, but it's still a real concern for real people today. What's interesting to me is that you didn't see a huge a huge push for, say, September 11th books or stories in young adult fiction in the late or early to mid-2000s. Though at the same time, I guess we at that point, we kind of moved away from the serialized young adults. And the Harry Potter was only just really picking up young adult as bigger, meatier books at that point. If this sort of public publications were still happening in the early 2000s i absolutely would have expected some sort of book like this referencing the september 11th attack in new york in particular to be fair i do remember there being like a large response to that in fan fiction which is Mm -hmm. you know probably the nearest we'll get to that quick bam 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 this happened right let's do a book about it the way that they used to have it well especially people writing fanfic at that time i think were the people reading these books but were yeah. now adult like yeah. not adults history but older people writing Sorry, yeah because the fandom that i was massively active in was mighty ducks and there was quite a huge push not just on fanfiction.net but on the mailing list as well of just like muslim girl moves to eden hall and is treated with a disdain so i suppose reactionary fic you know is a thing it's just that i'm seven years younger than raven and six months older than wing there you go there's some maths the cold war wasn't really a thing when i was the same age that you you know when you were saying that it was a big deal like i just remember our news being absolutely filled with the ira and Sinn fein and the troubles rather uh, well we clearly were not getting ira stuff because it's not as as well, it's not as related to us. Like, I'll be very blunt that it's clear that way now, but back then, too, USA News is super focused on how it affects us. Like, you know, September 11th is a, as an example. Oh, my God, this huge terrorist attack and blah, 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 where we're ignoring terrorist attacks around the world, many of which we're perpetrating, that, you know, obviously they aren't news because they didn't happen to us, and we're so shocked that these things happen. I think the same with the Cold War, whether it was actively a threat or not at this point in the 80s, and this is right around the time when the wall came down and things were changing anyway, it was still presented as a real threat to us because it was they were our big boogie yeah. band. You still see a lot. We've, we're moving back into that idea of Russia and the Soviet Union bloc countries or former countries 
being the bad guys, you still see that that sort of thread throughout movies in particular that come out of the U.S., especially the political thriller spy movies, even in the current news with Russia as the big bad manipulating U.S. politics. Like, it's an ongoing cycle with that. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Well, that got real serious. Yeah, it did. Welcome to Sweet Valley Online, where we (laughs) sometimes mock Sweet Valley and characters and sometimes have deep political discussions. Yeah, this this is. Um, I'm sure that this conversation we had was should have been held at the meeting that we're having at the docks later. <laughs> Hi NSA. <laughs> we'll dealt with the fact that it was just like the other books. We've also dealt like the dealt with the fact that it was offensive. The other one, the other thing about it was that it was boring. The fact again that the whole thing ended with a party. That how many books has that happened in now? It must be about six or seven. I, I actually linked it in your recap. Um, ah, I used the phrase, did. everything did. can be fixed with a party. And I believe that I linked every single book thus far that has ended with a party. Yeah. So um, I think Wing's just bringing that, that up. Uh, each word yeah. should be a separate link. So there are six books linked in that phrase, which is most issues in Sweet Valley can be resolved by a party. So that is The Haunted House... Against the rules, stretching the truth, second best, standing out, and Princess Elizabeth. <laughs> yes. Yay parties. Yeah, oh, so Lord. I think that also comes under the heading of just like all the other books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the biggest part of why it's boring to me is that it's the same it is just like all these other books that the same situation has happened in. And also, for all their love of party, at least this one generally showed it because a, a lot of them sort of just top and tail the party and you think well i remember being a teenager all the shit went down during the party not at the bit where you politely you know walk in and not as you walk out going gosh what a party that was so at least i mean this was a really fucking feeble effort Uh, you know didn't they basically play some german music and get his sister to phone him or something and yes and, made him a strudel yeah and then he was like he made oh a collage of pictures yeah there's no place like home got david hasselhoff to stand on a wall and sing oh well, that would have been amazing okay that would have saved this book for me <laughs> i think at that time he was too busy running in slow-mo down a beach with some very large-breasted women yes you say that as if it's a bad thing <laughs> Well, also that too. <laughs> you also say that as if you didn't take us to see the movie <laughs> on holiday just earlier this year. Yeah, and I just want to point out that the three of us on this podcast were laughing our heads off. We were the only people who were, but we were really enjoying it. I believe it was a we, great film. I can um, also point out. I'm pretty sure there were only the four of us in the theater. <laughs> Ostrich was not laughing. Ostrich was not happy. Ostrich is a killjoy, and also Ostrich doesn't like how hot I find the rock. Marvellous. Anyway. Anyway, yes. uh, I wish they hadn't used this sort of country cultural background behind it. I thought it could have been a really interesting story about a gymnast who really wants to be a musician and the way that gymnasts in particular are pushed to so obsessively train and have no outside life. And all of those are interesting sports stories. But too much of it's wrapped up into A, being a plot that's already been done a billion times in the series, and B, having the really unfortunate political implications that come with it, and then C, just being boring. So there was an interesting story in there, they just never got to it. Yeah, that's a very fair comment. I think they did touch on the fact that the, like, the coach was 
quite aggressively making them pursue their um, Olympic dream, if you like. And the fact that his dad was a Olympic gymnast and was pushing the family towards it. But as you say, they they didn't really flesh that out much, did they? They could have done more with it. Yeah, it was. It felt like it more turned on how he hated East Germany and wanted to stay in this land of opportunity versus I don't want to fucking be a gymnast full time. This is your dream, not my dream, Dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, he did. The Christoph himself did sort of buy into his coach's rhetoric of we must practice hard, we must practice often, sweep the leg, show no mercy. I was always Cobra Kai or whatever. So the fact that he was doing that sort of did did make it, oh, so why is he staying then? Oh, because he's he's discovered pizza. Oh, right, oh, all right, fine. Good point. You know, which is a shame. I think that was a bit of a missed opportunity there. I think you made a good point in the recap too that we haven't really touched on is that there is this evil Bruno character that is his uh, his peer in competition and Christoph's just that much better than him, but he's kind of, very, very. He's kind of very two-dimensional, stereotypical yeah. sports competitor, German gymnast competitor. Yeah, there wasn't a lot to it. Yeah, Bruno to me had a brooding monobrow and probably pointed teeth. Um, looked like looked like I don't know a, a Slytherin extra from one of the Harry Potter films. That's a yeah. very good decision. I was just like picturing them all as the Hawks and is it Coach Riley from the Mighty Ducks? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the uh, the Iceland team from Mighty Ducks too. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Who all weirdly lost their accents and went to the same school as the Mighty Ducks in the next film as the bad guys again, but you're not supposed to notice that. No one notices that. Just you. Just you. <laughs> There's a finite amount of hockey playing, ice skating actors, I think. That's maybe that's what it is. <laughs> that's probably, age. You're right. Yeah. Kind of a weird combo. Yeah. Just get them and put wigs on them. They'll do. They work for the last film. <laughs> oh, hockey, the best sport. Anyway, well, I think we've handled that book. Yes, yeah. yes, we have. I think we handled it better than the Jamie Suzanne. Oh, clearly. Clearly we did. Yeah. How heartbroken would we all be if we found out that. Applegate and Grant were the writing team behind that. I mean, we know for certain they're not, but can you imagine that? Hey, well, we call it as we see it. They're, they're awesome, but they don't get a free pass from me. No, I agree. I haven't read Making Out. They can sod off. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that if, if I had found that out, that it, I would have just been like, this must have been very early in their career because they worked that shit out later. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, it would be weird. Uh, I think it would also give us an idea of how much spec the writers would get you know to come up with such dirge what you would and wouldn't do to be making money writing yeah like i would again assume that it was someone who either wanted the side aspect of writing like just being able to knock it out as kind of a regular paycheck versus someone who had not made it yet necessarily versus someone who had more control of their own career at what point would you make the decision to do this sort of ghostwriting if it was that limiting which a lot of the ghostwriters that have talked about it, it is that limiting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's the, sixth, it's the sixth book. We have to have a party. Exactly. Here are the phrases you must pick off. Four minutes older, um, dimple in the left cheek, can't stay mad at her sister for long. Make sure you write all of these at certain points in the book. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think I could do that. That'd be... I don't know. I mean, I, I quite enjoy writing to a strict framework. I think you can you can be quite creative in that. I agree, though. I don't know if I can handle not caring about continuity. 
Like, I would want to have, like, charts of every book before and who, what, when, which you can't, obviously can't do, especially in this sort of publication. You're churning them out too fast. One book a month is a huge thing, and sometimes it's multiple books a month that they're super specials or whatever. Yeah, because I, I read an interview online of someone who was writing Sweet Valley High to put themselves through college and Mm -hmm. she was doing one a month basically but she was tag teaming with someone else so she was writing book 53 while book 52 was just being uh, printed now and she probably hadn't seen it. I wouldn't even be surprised to hear if they had like a few like one's doing 50, one's writing 51, one's writing 52 Yeah, so you keep the cycle going. If you could find that link again let's drop it in the show notes. Yeah. our listeners might be interested. Yeah. I think I tweeted it ages ago, but um, okay. that's really unhelpful. I think I've read that, but uh, I, I would read it again if it was in the show notes. So just to make sure. Is that what do you mean? Bruce Patman dies in 52. I've just written Patman Strikes Back. <laughs> eh, clearly characters come back from the dead. It's fine. And go and collect the daughters from the Dairy Burger, I believe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's a zombie sweet valley. And speaking of zombie sweet valley, let's take on bleak valley. That was smooth. Good work. Jessica Wakefield doesn't exist. She's merely a construct in the mind of Elizabeth Wakefield, an abused only child trapped in the basement by unloving parents. Elizabeth Wakefield, whose imagination spawned the whole of Sweet Valley in an attempt to escape her lonely, imprisoned, apocalyptic clusterfuck life. The name for Elizabeth's altered reality? This desolate nightmare, the purple underbelly of a cracked psyche, the dark world of her mind and soul, Bleak Valley. The downside is I have no Bleak Valley theories besides the (laughs) fact that we are Bleak Valley in Dove's head and she's really in jail imagining all of this after going on a murder spree in her version of Sweet Valley as a preteen. I'm sorry, but if I'm the figment of somebody's imagination, they're fucked. <laughs> I kind of blew all my creativity on that theory <laughs> early on in this podcast. We've uh, touched on this before. Not, none of us come to this to the table with a ring binder full of bleak valley notes. We just twist our minds to the, to the dodgy setting and see where the, the day takes us. Yeah. So you mean our default setting. <laughs> yeah, I will admit, I've got nothing. So if someone wants to jump in while I formulate, you have a red solo cup. I do have a red solo cup. Let's have a party. No, no, Jessica. I am the Jessica now, thank God. No, we should do that. I we found should... out I was the Elizabeth and I had a heart attack. <laughs> we should do that. We should have a party every sixth podcast. <laughs> Just have like music in the background, lounge music and... Naps. Let's do it. And these mystical um, things called pizzas. I will happily take one for the team and find weird American pizzas <laughs> and uh, drink some alcohol. It'd be good. This pizza's a cube. <laughs> there you go. That's something we could do as a Patreon thing. Have a party and invite That's some people on to our... Spoilers! We're going to have a Patreon! <laughs> <laughs> and have no bleep alley, apparently. Surely, surely. You've got a Bleak Valley theory about Sandra Ferris. 
You've got every other... Seriously? Come on! No, I, I want her dead in every universe. So Bleak Elizabeth has found out about Sandra Ferris and wants her dead. <laughs> I don't care if I'm trapped in this cupboard under the stairs by these horrible parents. Kill that bitch. <laughs> okay, I'll take a stab at that one. Uh, could Sandra be this embodiment of the step-sibling that we've kind of talked about before in that when the step-sibling first came boy or girl, or whoever, whatever, we haven't actually settled on any sort of decision about any of the details, gender, age, etc., of the uh, sibling. When the step-sibling came in, Elizabeth hoped that they would be an ally and be very friendly, but instead she found someone who's also as manipulative and abusive and terrible as her parents. So here's this idea of, here's how this, this sibling started. The idea is Sandra before, very shy and meek and quiet and and hidden in the quarters, but as it became reality, as it blossomed out into someone who other people paid attention to, unlike Elizabeth, the step-sibling became manipulative and terrible and, and abusive in a different way, using tears and guilt instead of actual beating of her. I like that, and the Jessica and Elizabeth reactions to her could be the fact that she hates herself for being inconsistent for being taken in so every time the step sibling cries and wants attention she gives it to her this time will be different yeah and then she gets stabbed in the back and jessica rears her ugly head going well i always hated that bitch jessica is the the outgoing vibrant passionate person that she wishes she could be if she could escape so yeah jessica would also be her protector yeah it could also be a thing that Bleak Elizabeth has done some chores or something, some some things that she was told to be to do by the horrible parents, and the step siblings just taken credit for this, and they believe her, and that ties directly into Sandra Fer- uh, Ferris stealing the idea. I like that because especially even the parents would be very oh good for you, you did a great job to the step sibling, but would still be angry at Elizabeth for making someone else do her work for her yeah there would still be that sort of anger into it being a stolen idea i like that you can also explain away why the passion for fashion that jessica has was a b-plot in this because maybe that's something that bleak elizabeth has maybe she's got some pictures from a magazine or something that has been put under the door of a cupboard that she's she's seen some cool new dresses and she wishes she could make her own clothes and it's very telling that, one, she thinks she, she wouldn't be any good at it in the fantasy that she's created. And two, the thing that she wants to create is quite a drab pioneer dress rather than something cool and Jessica-like, shall we say. It'd be interesting, too, if it's that sort of drab pioneer-esque and all the references are old because all she gets to see are older things. She maybe has some idea that fashion and media has moved on, but all she's allowed to have are these older hand-me-downs and old magazines and old stories are very safe stories that uh so she knows that yes people aren't living in pioneer times but these are the only references she really has to make yeah so she makes pioneer times come back to now so that she's in fashion for this one moment yeah bless her i think you can look at the acting one this is another version of escape some accident brings her in contact with someone not her parents and suddenly she has found someone she can trust and who will teach her and save her and and help her find her place in the spotlight, or, you know, the world. And as usual, that person disappears. 
that fantasy even disappears by the end of the fantasy. Yeah, she might not have even spoken to her. You know, someone sort of like walked into her and went, oh, sorry, you're all right, love. And that was all it took for her to imagine this world in which she becomes a mentor and, you know, finds a reason for her and one of the Wakefields to bond with her. It could even be something, maybe not so much an accident, she could have just seen somebody like a social worker or something that appeared at the house to ask different questions and she was told to be kept quiet in the in the cupboard and kept away and the idea of this social worker saving her and giving her the opportunity for escape if only she'd open the right door yeah and she'd have yeah, been free. yeah yeah i like that that's a good one very sad this is always depressing yeah very oh i suppose we could say if we go on to the um elizabeth's new hero if we take the social worker thing a bit further maybe the the aftermath of the social worker's visit to the bleak Wakefield compound could be that the parents are much more heightened and trying to control bleak Elizabeth's whereabouts and saying, you know, be quiet, we're, we're under scrutiny, we're being watched, we're going to be discovered. And this is a conversation that they're having that she can overhear. And that paranoia that they're having turns itself into a different way that they treat her. The whole Cold War metaphor could come from that, if you like. The fact that Stephen is looking for spies could be that they are too making sure that nobody is coming in, into their grounds, if you like, to, 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 to discover the secrets that they have. Yeah, making sure the social worker didn't leave anything behind so she can't nip back unannounced to pick up something. Yes. That kind of yes. paranoia. Mm. Yeah. Well, even trying to figure out who called, who flagged this, why are we getting visits, what is going on here? And they'd have to even change some things. Like, you cannot have light on at random times, so Elizabeth's going to be even more kept in the dark than normal. They have to just, any sort of access she has to anything from the outside world will have been cut off completely in this. And I do think, even bigger picture, these constant shocks over, oh my god, pizza, oh my god, milkshakes, oh my god, movies, is a way of metaphorically looking at how Elizabeth herself is kept from modern yeah. information, yeah. modern culture and modern times. Like, maybe she hasn't had pizza until one time, or she sees or hears someone talking about it, or sees a delivery driver across the street yeah. or something. Like there's lots of ways, yeah. Most of her knowledge probably comes from occasionally walking past the TV while doing a chore for her parents, and they all get filed away, and this is probably why anyone from outside Sweet Valley has that exciting, I'm going to get to try it for the first time, because Elizabeth never has. Right. And that's why the story repeats, yeah, because it's, each of these stories could bring her some new things or some new excitement but at the end of the day nothing's changed so we go back there and she finds a, another way to tell herself the same story because the old fantasy doesn't work anymore it's already been broken and also the Kristoff thing the the whole defection storyline um if we have Kristoff being a representation of the step sibling who uh, maybe at some point maybe during this paranoid delusion that's gripping the, the place because of the social worker's visit maybe the step-sibling is showing signs of being friendlier to Elizabeth and, and trying to befriend Elizabeth in a way that would minimise the damage that they were under if the whole thing crumbled and the social worker found out because they say, well, I was her friend, I was trying to help her. But they're, they're adults, I couldn't. Exactly. Yeah, I couldn't go against them. I was just as much in trouble as she was. Yeah, I could see that. So that is why the the Christoph social worker is, is trying to defect to Elizabeth's side 
but then eventually decides, no, I'm going to stick with Bleak Alice and Bleak Ned because of my home life being okay. The the threat has maybe passed right. of, of this. So yeah. screw you, Bleak Valley Elizabeth. Um, I'm, I'm back on the, the dark side again. Right. Yeah, you could even sort of say that Bruno is the parent sort of noticing a softening in the step-siblings' behaviour public behavior to elizabeth and being antagonistic in response and elizabeth sees this as we're in this together stop being a dick but ultimately the step sibling goes back so especially if if christoph's on i think the the end of the book that christoph's on the phone to his father and his father's like no 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 come home i've bought you a drum kit i'll give you all the things you want we'll take the gymnast so that is a very clear tie that the parents have got their way. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. So once again, we managed to pull a bleak valley out of our asses. Good job. (laughs) Yeah, I had nothing, so good job, people. Yeah. All right, before we wrap up, let's have just a little bit of uh, input from Doug, who has Ah. completed Nano, have you, or have you not? Yes, I did. I did it in 19 days. Well... Congratulations. I, ca- I count it as 18 because I was still writing the last sort of like few words as it trickled over to the 19th of November, so which was Raven's birthday. It was, and it was a nice birthday present for me. Yes. That's awesome. So uh, how did you like this experience? It's been a while since you did Nano, correct? Yeah. Um, according to my Nano profile, I last completed it in 2012, and I'm like, I, I'm sure I didn't. But, you know, if my nano profile says that I did, then I must have. But Why would it lie to you? Yeah, because you have to upload your story to get it validated. So mm-hmm. and I wouldn't bother to lie about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It was kind of fun. Do you want to give a quick recap of what you wrote about? Just for people who maybe just downloaded the, the, the podcast and haven't been to the site recently. OK, it was basically a crossover Uh, well, sort of, of The Hunger Games and Sweet Valley. I did not bring in Hunger Games characters. I merely had Lila have the brilliant idea after watching the movie that Sweet Valley should have a Hunger Games. So basically a fusion. I like that. An alternate universe fusion. Yes. For those of you who grew up on your fanfic terms. Yes, there were many deaths. I kind of momentarily liked Elizabeth when she was... No spoilers. No spoilers. No No spoilers. No spoilers. The the nano that you wrote is perfectly set, perfect tone, m- breaks the fourth wall all the way through. Really, really good fun read. So I advise anyone to, if they haven't, it's all serialized on um, Street by the online website. Um, are you sending it? Are you going to do one post where it's got the full thing in it, or? Yes, I am, and I'll probably bundle it up as an epub and various ebooks so you can download your favorite format as well and at rosie on a boat made me three different covers at the last count i think it was she's awesome she's also sort of in it because she was that awesome in her support so um yeah if any of you see her online just say congratulations and she will grin I hope. It's been a lot of fun seeing it go up on the site and having people interact with it. But I think it was a fantastic idea that Dove had to both kickstart her own writing and to bring a lot of fun to series that we keep talking about everyone needing to die and she brought people dying to it. So that was really <laughs> great. Yeah. 
I was very happy with the outcome. Good, I'm so glad. And uh, I hear there's going to be at least one more big surprise, so uh, keep an eye out for that too. Yep, indeed there is. Uh, that one's on Raven, though. I couldn't possibly comment further. <laughs> and we do plan to do a Christmas story, Raven and I. Yes. Um, we were plotting it on Raven's birthday as we drove to York to have tea at Betty's. So um, we didn't actually discuss it in Betty's because we realised that that's probably not what you yeah. talk about. <laughs> time and a place. Definitely time and a place. So uh, they plan to take Ostrich and me there when we come to visit. And so now my goal is to find the most horrific story to talk about. And I'm going to plot it out loud there because that's the kind of bag of dicks I am. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't expect anything less. I know. I am a delight and a joy forever. Uh, well, that's exciting. Go check out uh, Dove's story on our website. And like she said, she'll get to download stuff out and you will love it. It's fantastic. So let's wrap up with uh, our best and worst books for this month. I can go first or you can, Dove, if you'd like. I was just going to say, I bet we all agree on which book was worst. <laughs> go on, Wing. Take it away. Uh, well, my favorite was obviously my book. I love Jessica acting and the friendships and all of that. I think that Elizabeth's new hero, Raven's book, was my least favorite, though. So there you go thematically the same I loved my book the most even though I still want Sandra Ferris dead and I really 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 hated Elizabeth's new hero and I actually I think that book is worse than Ithig fighting words I know but I was just a a new claim I was a new level of board that even Ithig couldn't touch. So, damn. Yeah, damning review if ever if ever there was one. Having sat through both Ithig and the class trip, I'm not going to go there. That it wasn't. <laughs> it was a bad book, but I've read worse in this series by Wait, a country before mile. Before you go on, I have a question. So yeah, we have Ithig and the class trip. So was it worth it both of those, Dove? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because. Wow. At least the class trip, for all of its bollocks, is at least different to the other books. I mean, that's the problem with it, but at least it's fucking different. I mean, that was just xenophobia plus Princess Elizabeth. It was just... Which we literally had three books ago. Sweet Valley have a... sweet. I know we're getting detracted again, but Sweet Valley have a, a history of doing this. Didn't they have... The, the, the class voting for Elizabeth to be the treasurer, followed by the class elections, like the next book. Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering if, like, uh, the the dickheads at Bantam are just like, yeah, okay, we need an exchange student book, right. You take it, and you take it, and you take it, and if you don't all die, I'll have more than one of this story. I'm going to go and get another ghostwriter to go between you guys. All right? <laughs> oh, my God. That sounds about right. I mean, I reckon gin-soaked Alice is a theme in, in giving out stories <laughs> in, in Bantam. So, there you go. My theory. All right. So, best and worst books, Raven. The best and worst books. The best book, I think, was Jessica on stage. Um, yeah, that was pleasant. I still don't think it was great. I don't have the love that you have for it, but it was okay. The whole give them a dog, give them a cat thing was a bit crap. 
Um, but of of the three, that I think that was my favourite. Um, I think the worst of the three, I'm probably going to shock you both now, and say it was Sandra Ferris book. Really? Yeah, I think it was because it seemed to be a collection of scenes and it just it, it, it didn't have a, cohere, a cohesive story. At least Elizabeth's New Hero had a cohesive story, even if we'd seen it before. Sandra Ferris wound me up. I didn't like her much. And it just did, it, it was just too bitty. It it wasn't coherent enough. Don't get me wrong, I do think the Elizabeth's New Hero was god awful. However, I've I I sat through both Ithig and the class trip and you've gotta do a lot of things to, to hurt me <laughs> with these books. I'm just looking up what you're recapping next. Oh don't it sounded so bleak Valley of Raven. The class trip, oh, I always go on about Ithig being the worst book, and I think I use that as because Ithig's quite a fun word to say, even though that's just playing straight into. It's just that that thought is just playing straight into bloody Ned's delusion that it was a big secret. Let's say Ithig, it's fun, but the class trip was just appalling. I actually have a list of next month's recap books. If you want me to go to. Uh, share it, Dove. We've got Jessica the Rockstar, which is being done by Wing. The Chris- which should have been number 33, because then we would have had Jessica and the combo hat platter this uh, <laughs> month, but damn it. Jessica goes through a massively erratic phase, should have been the, the overall arc. Raven is doing Amy's pen pal, and I am doing the first super chiller, The Christmas Ghost. And Raven and I are actually swapping weeks so that mine will go up closer to Christmas. Yes. And nice. I am happy to report that all of those books are fine. Excellent. Mm, I don't know if I believe you. You literally just said that uh, Elizabeth's new hero was worse than I think. Hmm. I don't think I believe your ratings anymore. Yeah. Your judgment <laughs> is moot now. I'm sorry. Can I just say that it, it, it re- it's really telling that you're like, oh, don't worry. The next three books are fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! That's what we're going for. Mediocrity. I refuse to give you anything other than mediocrity because you'll come after me with pitchforks and and fire and villagers if I promise anything. The next time you do this, don't worry, don't worry, guys. The next three books that we're recapping are books. (laughs) I would just say you give us this kind of mediocre, very flat, no emotions, but that's the thing you hate the most in books. You switched out with me this month because you wanted to feel some sort of passion. The passion of rage, perhaps, (laughs) this time, but passion. So the fact that you're calling them just kind of, no, they're okay, means that that that's either not true or you're going to have the worst month of us all. <laughs> well, you guys can't touch me because I've got the Christmas ghost and you fucking know how I feel about any retelling of A Christmas Carol. It's why I've pretty much done it in every fandom I've been active in. I fucking love A Christmas Carol. So I was going to be my spoiler and she went there for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm fine. You guys are screwed. The books are fine. I don't know whether you like them or not. I'm excited to have another Jessica the something. So. <laughs> as much as I complained about how 34 and 33 aren't swapped, so we had a whole month of just Jessica, I think I would have been fairly unhappy if I'd now been recapping Elizabeth's new hero. Yeah, yeah, you dodged a bullet there. You definitely have. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, Wing, you're back to Mary because uh, she seems to be your character. I do like Mary quite a bit too, so that's exciting. It's very odd, like the fact that 
when for Mary's first book, I think we swapped books so that you could have yeah, yeah, so that you could have the adoption storyline because I know that you will feel a lot stronger about adoption than possibly I would because you have personal investment in it. Very true. But ever since then, every single Mary book has naturally fallen on wing without any kind of tweaking. It's 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 weird. Marion Wing, BFF. Yeah, so if you're ever recapping and one of you is adopted, make her go first, but swap one week. <laughs> uh, no, I am excited for next month, in part because it's the, uh, it'll be the end of our first year of recapping and podcasting here, so that's yeah. exciting. I'm wondering if I should, like, Christmas up the site, but I'm not really sure how to. I think you should. And to be fair, you should switch over on Devil's Elbow to the Christmas theme. I will. Yeah. You know what we should do to celebrate? Party. <laughs> it is a party time. Oh, we could bake sugar cookies. I don't know what they are, but Elizabeth's always baking them at Christmas. Well, I bake them every Christmas, so guess... You're Elizabeth! Look at you with oh. your blonde hair and your blue eyes! You're Elizabeth! <laughs> hey, Wing, didn't you? weren't you on the school paper? Um, I hate you. Wow, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's all coming out now. <laughs> yeah. You're reading these books going, oh, some of this is a little bit too close to home. <laughs> this is why I hate Elizabeth so much. Clearly, I don't want to see myself in her. Oh, I hate you guys so much. But on the plus side, you hate people far too much to push your way into their problems. If you see someone crying, you're just kind of like, not my problem. Fuck you up, I'm walking on. <laughs> Does that mean you're Jessica? I am both. I am the embodiment of both twins. But I, I think I will try to make some Sweet Valley sugar cookies. We'll see how this comes out. Perhaps that will be a nice surprise. Yeah, you should. And then tweet them at me and I will retweet them and everyone can slobber over them and go, why don't I have sugar cookies? Why aren't I Elizabeth Wakefield? Come back Friday, the 1st of December. Learn all about Nostalgic Bookshelf and we'll see you next month. Thank you for Bye. listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of Sweet Valley Online. You can find all our recaps and previous podcast episodes on our website at sweetvalley.online. Come talk to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sweetvalleyonline and on Tumblr at sweetvalleyonline.tumblr.com. Thanks again to Stuart Taylor of Legacy Breakfast for our music. We'd love it if you subscribe, rate, and review us at your favorite podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.